0: Chapter 1 The Jefferson Wars. Most of us live in our own world rather than the world that brought it into being, so we tend to assume that our problems are unprecedented. The rage on the right that descended over the United States upon Barack Obama's 2009 inauguration, the analogies to Nazism and socialism, the questioning of the president's citizenship, the insistence that he was a Muslim, Islam apologist in chief, seemed to many on the left to be wholly new. But American politics has always been infused with the animal spirits of morality and religion, which, when mixed, have created a volatile cocktail, an absolutist politics of good and evil in which anxiety is palpable, compromise is elusive, and the metaphors are martial, culture as war. For this sort of politics, nothing tops the presidential elections of 1796 and 1800, when political feuds led to fist cuffs and founding fathers denounced one another as enemies of the state. Here, just years after the founding, we see the culture war cycle start to spin. Conservatives in John Adams' Federalist Party attacked Thomas Jefferson's religion. Jeffersonians and the Democratic-Republican Party, the liberals in this fight, counterattacked. According to the Constitution, there can be no religious test for the presidency. But can voters impose one? Is the United States a religiously plural nation with a godless Constitution? Or is it a Christian nation under the watchful eye of the endower of unalienable rights? But the questions in this culture war were not confined to theology or theocracy. They concerned, as well, the passing away of a society of white, Protestant New England men, a hierarchical society rooted in colonial Puritanism, held together by a culture of deference, supported by clerical and business elites, and governed by the wise, the virtuous, and the wealthy. The cultural commitments of this society, in which free citizens turned out to vote on election day only to agree to be governed by their betters, included pride of race, distrust of money-getting men, fears of leveling, and suspicion of aliens. Preserving these values was the Federalists' lost cause. The American Revolution had let loose a torrent of egalitarianism and diversity. The Jeffersonians tapped into that centrifugal force, directing its expansive energies into party politics. The Federalists, defenders of a waning centripetal order, an ancien regime of their own, were determined to hold this torrent back, to staunch rule by the worthless, the dishonest, the rapacious, the vile, the merciless, and the ungodly. Jefferson, they saw as a Jacobin from the South, the standard-bearer of a foreign culture of impiety, vice, and guttersnipe party politics. As they fought over competing visions of their new republic, as they struggled to determine what America was to become, Federalists and Jeffersonians debated not only who should be included in the American family, but also who should lead it. Those who cast their ballots in the elections of 1796 and 1800 would not settle these questions for all time, but they would decide that even heretics like Jefferson could be patriots. In fact, they could be president. Patriot King During the American Revolution, colonists had come together to oppose England's King George III, whom they accused in their Declaration of Independence, of a long train of abuses, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages. When that war was over, after Paul Revere had concluded his midnight ride, and the Minutemen were done firing on the redcoats at Lexington and Concord, and town criers had read every word of the Declaration aloud, and the ink on the Treaty of Paris had dried, and the tea floating in Boston Harbor had been eaten by fish, who were then eaten by free citizens. Americans united under a different man.